our third week of what if. Somebody say with me, one, two, three. That was a little less than what it should be. One, two, three. There you go. There you go. Sometimes we forget and think we're in a library or museum or something and we're not at church. So some people have been deceived into thinking that church should be quiet. And uh, you've heard me say it. Silence is the sound of defeat. But shouting is the sound of victory. Anybody victory, victorious this morning? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be in Second Chronicles 7.14, um, and we'll read there just one verse. I hope, if you didn't already have it memorized, that by now you've memorized Second Chronicles 7.14. Uh, if not, hopefully after today, uh, you, you will. We're asking the question, what if? Because what if changes our outlook on things. How many know that? If you went to some doctor and he told you, hey, you got this and it's bad and it's ugly and it's not good and the, 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 the diagnosis was, was just dismal and you'd have a certain response to that. How many know that? I remember my dad got his, the doctor said, we've done all we can do. That's about the words he said. And my dad had been in the hospital in and out so many times and always kind of upbeat. He was an upbeat person. And once they told him that, within two weeks, he's gone. His whole, his whole countenance changed because there wasn't a what if after that. But if you got that report from, from a doctor and they said, you know, this is what it is, and you went for a second opinion, and, and second opinion, the doctor said, well, what if we did this? There might be, I mean, no, you change the way you were viewing your situation because the idea of a what if can produce, doesn't always, but can produce hope of a change. And I, I believe this. I believe the church has a what if. I, I believe that our nation has a what if. Right? And it's right here in Second Chronicles 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And we talked about this over these past, uh, uh, this is our third Sunday during this series. And if you weren't here or maybe you want to go back and just catch something that you didn't get, I encourage you, um, you can get it on YouTube, you can get it on where you listen to podcasts, Elevation Indie. We just talked about the idea that, that well, the, the, the recipe, if you will, the protocol to experiencing God's response is his people. I mean, no, God's not, not in this verse isn't pointing fingers outside of the church. Right? We, we can lift this from here and you say, Pastor Tony, I think he's talking to those people then. I, I think you're so right. I think when Paul wrote those letters, he was writing it to those people then. I really don't always know that Paul had any greater insight than where, than where he was writing the letter to the town, the church in the town that he was writing. When he wrote, when he wrote Galatians, he was writing it to that church. But the Holy Spirit... I said the Holy Spirit had different intentions, right? It was for that people group that was receiving the letter, but it was also for you and I today because all Scripture, somebody say all Scripture, right? It's good for us for correction and reproof and instruction and all righteousness. It's for us. And so when I take this, yes, he was speaking to those people, but he's also speaking to the people, you and I, who are called by his name. It's pretty direct, isn't it? Right? I'm not... I'm not Noah. God told Noah, go build an ark. He's not telling us to build an ark. 
but here I am, his people. You are his people called by his name. And he says that they humble themselves and pray. It's, it's, it's this idea that of, of going low in humility and calling out to God and seeking his face. What does that mean? To seek him relationally. God doesn't need a bunch of religious folk. You hear me? God doesn't need a bunch of, I mean, there's all kinds of religious people all over the world following all kinds of, 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 of faith expressions that none of them, or a lot of them aren't even connected to the Word of God, and they're following some faith expression. He doesn't need religious people. There's all kinds of religious people in the world. What he's looking for is relationship. And so he says, seek my face. Seek me in relationship. And turn from your wicked ways. And so here's what he says, right? He's going to hear from heaven. We spent quite a bit of time last Sunday on that. And then he's going to forgive our sin. Aren't you glad for that? Because you've got to understand that every person on this planet has a sin problem. Humankind, humanity has a sin problem. Every one of there's, there's no one on, on this planet that is like, okay, I have no sin. The word says there's none righteous, no, not one. We've all... Right, fallen, and we've come short of the glory of God, that, that all of us have that sin issue. And, and I think at some level there are people that understand that in the world, and there's some people maybe they don't have any clue. Because we, we, the world, and it's moved into the church, we kind of rate sin. You know what I mean? Like, like this is a really bad sin that is heinous and a horrific act, and that person's really bad, and then we place our, right, people place themselves somewhere better than that. So then we can say, well, you know, we read this in the Word. The guy said, you know, like, I'm, not, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. Glad I'm not like that person. But you see, sin is sin, and all of us have that problem. And, and, and so, and I would say this, that there's a tension in the body of Christ where you get some, some preachers that, that they, they are hellfire and brimstone, all the time, every time, and they preach sin so much and so heavy that, that there's, there's no love that comes in. You know what I'm saying? And then you got the other, on the other end of the, the spectrum, the other side of the tension, where guys, preachers never mention sin ever. They never address it. Everything's like, you know, hunky-dory. Is that a word you can use, like a phrase that you can still use? Anybody know what that means? Like, it, like everything's chill, there's no problems, you know, just kind of hang out, it's okay that you do that, you know. Well, no, it's not okay. God says it's sin. I mean, somebody's got to call it out sometime. Anybody with me? And I know when you call it out, sometimes you're labeled as a hater. Right? I mean, I have to wear that badge sometimes. I'm not a hater at all. I mean, no, if you love people, you'll tell them the truth. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, Right? If, if you got somebody close to you and they got some stuff on their face, like if you really care about them, you won't let them walk out in front of everybody with that stuff on their face. You'll say something. I, I mean, if I see you with something, I'll tell you. I said a few weeks ago, some guy's collar was all wrinkled up. I said, hey, man, fix your collar. It's all wrinkled up. I didn't tell him that because I didn't like him. I told him that because I wouldn't be embarrassed going around with his collar all up halfway. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, thank, thank you. I know that's simple. I think it's all simple. You hear what I'm saying? We complicate it. Humans complicate it. 
is pretty simple. We are sinful, and God sent, and here's, our, here's the forgiveness of our sin. God sent his only son to pay the price that nobody could pay so that you could experience forgiveness of sin when you repent and turn from your wicked ways. Oh, what a what if that we have available to us. And sometimes we complicate it. You know, and we look at some things, body of Christ, we look at some things and, and we make them so bad that, that we can't even get there. You know what I mean. There's somebody did something that you think, man, that person, that's out there. Like forgiveness, I'll be honest with you, I don't, I don't know if I'd be the greatest forgiver. Somebody treats you wrong, blasphemes your name, does all manner of evil against you, ignores you, and then you got to forgive them. Only way I've been able to forgive people like that is with Jesus. Right? In my flesh, I wouldn't necessarily want to forgive. You hear what I'm saying? Because of Jesus, I find myself forgiving when I couldn't on my own. And I'm glad that God is not me and he's not you because he looks at all of it and says, I'll forgive it all. You know why? Because he paid the, he invested the most in it. He, he brought the most to the table in the relationship. You and I, we didn't have to give like God gave. And so it's easy for us maybe to close somebody off. But God, he says, I gave my best. I gave my, I gave my only begotten son. And so I'll forgive I'll forgive. And here in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, this is an act of repentance, right? It's a coming back to God of his people. They're coming low, as I said, in humility. They're calling out to God in prayer. They're seeking after his face, after relationship. And it's, and it's not some formal formality of religion, but it's relationship, and it's turning from their wicked ways unto God's ways. And I want you to know that repentance is... Very different than remorse, because we can sometimes get that confused. I mean, remorse is good. Somebody does something wrong. If you've ever been in a place of disciplining a child, and you're always, it's always better when they have remorse for what they've done wrong than when they just kind of continue to defy you. You know what I'm saying? Every once in a while, I'll catch one of these crime things. He's like, you know, I don't know. I can't remember the names of them. I should check between the services because I didn't know it in the first service. I think it's like Dateline or 4040 or 2020. I don't know what it is. It's that guy with the scary voice. You know, he's like, and then they, you know. You ever heard that one? You know, talking about the long hair guy. He's got white hair, but it's long. And anyways, and they'll, they'll show some crime, and then they'll show the trial. And then you're trying to figure out, this person, are they guilty or are they innocent? And if they got that cold, like, stare into space thing when they're sitting in there and they don't ever say anything, like they're sorry or anything, you're like, yeah, they're guilty. Now, I don't know if they are for sure, but, but, but we're kind of assessing because if we see remorse, we feel like, well, that's a change, it's a change of heart maybe. Like somebody's, maybe it's tears, maybe it's words, maybe it's just, just the countenance of the person, and we see that and we realize they have some remorse. Now, they're not saying, they may even say, I'm sorry I did this. They're not saying that I'll never do it again. They're saying somehow in the process of, of dealing with this, maybe because they got caught, maybe because of whatever, they, they feel sorry for what they did, and they um, articulate that, again, through tears or through facial expressions or through words, 
or actions, somehow they articulate that. Repentance is different. Repentance, yes, it can be that you feel remorse for your sin and what you've done. In fact, the Bible talks about the idea of, of weeping or tears unto repentance. It doesn't always have to be coupled with tears, but sometimes it is. But repentance is, yes, understanding I feel wrong and sorry for what I've done, but it is the, the, the turning from the wicked way to say, I don't want to ever do that again. Anybody ever hear what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm turning my back on that, and I'm going to follow after God, and I don't want that to ever be named among me again is what New Testament language is. And he says, I'm going to forgive your sin. It's after true repentance. It's coming back. Maybe somebody needs to hear that this morning. Maybe you feel like you've, you, you've, you've been in a place where you're disconnected with the God who loves you. Maybe, maybe you've had uh, some relationship with God and you've just drawn away in distance. Maybe you felt um, like something's happened in your life and you don't know why God allowed it or whatever that looks like. Or maybe, maybe it's someone's never made that decision to come to him because all of us are turning back to him. You know, you know that. We're creating his image. So when we come back, all of us are like prodigals coming back. And, and so that's individually. And individually we have... Forgiveness of sin. Praise God for that. And then corporately. And I'm not just looking at this passage, but, but throughout the Word of God, and I don't have time to, to quote all of them today and read all of them to you, but, but over and over again, people have come to God, and there's been corporate forgiveness, right, for a sin that maybe you didn't commit, but that's been named among a certain people group, and we come to God for that. And even regionally and nationally, coming to God and saying we're sorry for the sins that have been in our nation. By the way, this happens regularly in our nation. People praying and interceding, standing in between God and our nation on behalf of our nation, repenting for sins that are in our nation. And, and I think it's important to understand that, that when you think about my people, yes, individually you're his, corporately as a body we're his. But then I, I think there's a little bit of element. I don't want to be I'm not patriotic at all in this, although I'm not afraid of being patriotic, but I'm just saying as a matter of fact that when you understand where our nation came from, there's still a remnant here of people that are pursuing God. You're here this morning. All, littered all over our, na- our landscape of our nation, there are churches today where people are meeting and they're in pursuit of God. Whether they're different in, in styles and expression and, and methodology and philosophy of ministry and those things than us, they're gathering as his people. In fact, I, I would say again, if you understand how we came about, and I know we can point at all the, the deficiencies and all the wrong things, but there was a group of people, several groups of people, who said, we want to worship God freely. And so we'll leave where we're at in Europe and we'll cross an ocean to be in a place that we've never been, experience danger that we don't have to experience so that we can pursue God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm just going to tell you right now. I'm just going to be honest with you. There's not hardly any of us that would say right now, I don't know what it would be that would move us to do this, to say we're going to get in a boat and go across the ocean someplace we've never been to a wilderness not, not a civilized area, to a wilderness to go be there so that, so that, and do that freely and maybe not even to go after God to do You hear what I'm saying? Like, like some folks had a little problem getting out of bed this morning. They didn't even make it here this morning. 
That's a 20-minute drive in a car. No seasickness, right? No, no, no danger of being uh, shot necessarily or anything. And, and what, what I'm saying is that if you get people that are that hungry for God to say, we want to form a place where people can freely go after God, well, I want to say there's something about that, right? I'm not saying they got it all right. I'm not saying that nationally everything went right in the foundation, but there was this 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 element of people who said we're hungry after God and we'll leave the comfort that we know to go a place we don't know so that we can pursue him. And when you have that and you have a remnant that's in place, his people, his people called by his name, humbling themselves, praying, seeking after his face and turning from their wicked ways puts us in a posture to experience forgiveness of sin and healing in our land. How many know we need that, right? And I think to properly understand this and get it in context, I, last week I said, hey, read, read First Chronicles um, or Second Chronicles chapter 6 along with this. Uh, you, you could even read uh, 8 as well because I think there's, there, there's, there's a lot that can go into this. But to give some context for this, we have to understand the verse before, Second uh, Chronicles 7.13 says, the Lord says, when I shut up heaven, and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. That sets what the Lord says here up. In fact, the healing that we need, that they needed, right, when, when they turn away from God, the healing that they would need is to see what the Lord had responded to their drawing away with and to remove that. Because, you know, sometimes I've heard people read this, and they read it as though that somehow God's going to bring healing to all the wicked ways of the people. No, that's not what he's saying here. It's not at all what he's saying here. In fact, somebody tells you that, they're misinterpreting what this says. He's talking about healing in reversing a shut, in opening up heaven, right, a shut-up heaven and reversing that, the, these locusts that are devouring the land and the pestilence among his people that God has brought in response to their turning away and their backsliding on him. It's, it's, it's lifting those and removing those. It's important that you get this. Because I, I see this everywhere, and, and, I, and I hear people say it, and sometimes I think they think God's going to bring healing to all these decisions, sinful decisions that people are making. No, that's a personal decision, right? That's a corporate decision to say, we're going to turn away from our wicked ways, and we're going we're to change directions. And so first, first one I want to deal with is this shut up heaven. Shut up heaven. Now, I talked last week for a few moments, and God addresses the spiritual element and the first response that he's going to hear from heaven, right? That's, a, that's, our, that's our prayers that are going up that God's saying he's going to he hear when we talk to him. When we come to him, he's going to hear. And thank God for that promise. And then forgive our sin. And he says, heal our land. And I think healing our land is physical. It was for them there, right? And, and, and so this shut up heaven for us is, is physical, Right, spiritual, and we're going to hear from heaven, but then it's also physical. And, and I've said this, we understand in the physical that, that when there's a, a heaven is shut up and there's no rain. Everybody say no rain. Like, you, you don't have to live in Indiana very long to understand that sometimes it'll be in summer sometime when you grass, you want it to be green, or you want the stuff that you planted in your garden to grow, or some of you have flowers out and you want them to be all pretty. And then the, the dry weather comes, 
And it's like stuff starts drying and wilting and browning and, uh, and, and changing. It doesn't look like it's alive and vital and growing. Instead, it starts dying. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like for a farmer without irrigation, his, his crops could be destroyed simply because no rain. No rain. It's a, it's a change in the atmosphere. And what happens is, or that, that uh, change in climate, what happens is, is that good things cease to grow, right? And in drought and famine, bad things, evil things, wicked things begin to flourish. Because if you're not watering, if you don't have an irrigation system or watering your lawn during these times, you can look out. It'll be all brown and yellow, and you'll see these weeds popping up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, and I don't know. I don't, I've never studied this. I don't know what makes a weed grow when it's like that. But it's like, they're like, hey, this is our day. This is our time. They're like sticking up there all green in the middle of all the stuff. And, and, and by the way, you don't have to cut your grass because the grass is growing. you got to cut it because the weeds are coming. The things that you don't want to be there are flourishing, and the things that you desire, the good thing that you want is not present. It's because there's no rain. And I would say this, that what we've got to understand is that, that even in a day, like today, when there's drought and there's famine, we see good things dying and diminishing, and we see evil and wicked things flourishing. I don't have to give you the, the, the data and the statistics on all this crime rate and all the wickedness that's happening in our world. You know it. I mean, I don't know if people still watch the nightly news, but if you do, you're probably going to hear about a murder in our city. You can walk downtown. I told somebody the other day, I said, this is not, this is not a, an indictment on anybody. Election was coming. I don't even get to vote for the people in Indianapolis. I live on the other side of the county line road, but I'm like, it's not hard to see that there's all these people laying on the sidewalk in the middle of the day. I, I was walking. I, I, was, I was downtown. I had to move, maneuver through a few, and, and sometimes I can help them or whatever, you know, just a little bit here or there or whatever. But I wasn't even thinking about it that day. I was just off the circle, and I'm moving through them, and they had food that somebody had given them, and they were throwing it because they didn't like what it was like. And so there's food all over the place. And I thought, not in a mean spirit, I thought, why doesn't the people in leadership care enough about these people to help get them help? I'm just being honest with you. That's what went through my head. Right? They, 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 it's, not, it's not good uh, treatment of humanity to have people laying on the sidewalk feeling entitled about the food that they, like throwing it. Somebody needs to help these people. But, but it's, it's, it's the wickedness in our time where, where things that, that shouldn't be growing are growing. And good things are diminished. Amos 8.11 talks about the idea there's a famine for the Word of God. I talked about in the first Sunday of this series that prayerlessness and biblical illiteracy are a problem, not in the world, but in the church. People just aren't digging into this like they need to. I say, Pastor, I'm reading, I'm reading. I'm not talking about you. <laughs> I'm talking about all the people that aren't. People aren't spending time calling on the Lord, seeking after his face. And so my challenge is don't wait till 2024 and think, okay, I'm going to make all these resolutions and I'm going to have a revolution in my faith experience. Start now. Somebody say start now. Yeah. 
because I want to see heaven opened up. And the key for America experiencing an open heaven isn't everybody outside of the church, but it's the church coming into alignment with what God says so that we can see God open heaven. And I'm telling you this, if the church ever experiences the fire of God and the awakening that we can experience, our nation will change. Yeah, because you know what? We're trying to figure out. Next year is an election year. Do we vote for this guy or that guy? They're already doing stuff. Do we elect this Congress or that, you know, those people to run our country? And we think, well, maybe that'll do it, and that's the answer. And I'm thinking, I don't care who you elect. Right? There's better and there's not so good or whatever. I don't care who you elect. I'm just saying this. They're not going to fix all the problems. You could flip the House or the Senate every two years or four years or what, six years or whatever it is, you could flip it, and it's still not going to change. That's not the answer. I, I'm just telling you this. You could pass legislation and try to create laws. Will it help? I might do something. But I'm just telling you this. That's not the answer. Jesus is the answer. They were singing earlier, Jesus changes everything. Jesus is the answer. It's like, it's like the, the little kid in the, uh, the Sunday school class. Teacher said, I'm going to ask you guys a question. What's brown? Has a furry tail, climbs trees, and likes nuts. She looked at the little boy and said, do you know the answer? He said, well, it sounds like a squirrel, but I'm going to go with Jesus. Because Jesus is always the answer. You hear what I'm saying? Like, we think somehow it's something else. Like, this is going to fix it, and that's what we need to do. I'm just telling you, do those things. Do the best you can. But at the end of the day, it's Jesus, and it's his church getting on a passionate pursuit for him, and that will change our nation. I'm telling you, if the church in America ever wakes up, this nation will change, and it's not going to come some other way. We're the salt and light. And so that, the, op- the key to open heaven is the church. And then he mentions these, these land-devouring locusts. I mean, that sounds like a sci-fi movie waiting to happen. You know what I'm saying? That word devour is, is, is also, and, and this is the kind of picture that it paints when they're trying to figure the word out from the Hebrew to this. That, that word devour is like a fire that ravages across the land. And over the years I've done a little study about locusts because of, of the Bible uh, speaking to them at times because it's agriculture agriculture kind of community and society, and, and locusts can just destroy, literally destroy. And, it's, and, and many times it's as though in those times they came out of nowhere. And, and that's the way fire can do. And, and I'm telling you, I, I had four different ways that I felt like I'd at times go with this, this message today, and, and this is where I landed. I felt like this is the way the Lord led me in it. And, and I, j- I just would say this, that, that it's not just an Indiana thing or an America thing, but all over our world, we're, we're seeing uh, weather, climate, just devour stuff. I mean, I didn't even know California had hurricanes. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of you don't even know what happened, but, but a hurricane hitting California. I thought hurricanes were in the Gulf of Mexico because they came off the coast of Africa. I didn't even know a hurricane could cross over Mexico and then become a thing out there in the Pacific and go up and hit California. I didn't know that was a thing. By the way, there's a guy first to, first of this year who prophesied. He prophesied and said there's going to be weather conditions happening in places that we never thought they would happen. I mean, the, the, the fires that we've seen in our Hawaii, 
I was talking to a guy who's older than me, I don't know, 200 years old. I don't know how old he was. He told me, I've lived in Indiana, I don't know, 85 years or something, I don't, 90 years, I don't know what it was. He said, I've never had, never seen, never witnessed this haze thing because, because of fires in Canada that have come to Indiana. You know, you may have all kinds of theories. I know people got all kinds of ideas. I, I, just, I just know this, that when I see this, this, this destruction and this devouring by, by flooding and hurricanes and fires. And, and I know we go to climate change, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a proponent for climate, climate change. I'm not against it. I do think our climate's changed. You might know what I'm talking about. I just don't know if it's everything that everybody's saying. I look at this and I think, are, are we in a place where heaven is shut up? And our planet is experiencing, our nation is experiencing a devouring that, that God's people need to fall on their knees and call out to him to see the tide of this turned back and shifted, that we need to see healing. And by, by the way, again, this isn't some political statement. Some things the pastor mentions, everybody goes political. I'm not political about it at all. I'm just saying this. There could be several causes. I'm just saying this, that stuff is happening, and I can't help but look at God's word and say, God, what is it you're saying to us? And then he wraps it up with that word that you, you, you probably haven't used in a while, pestilence. I like that KJV word, pestilence, among his people, right? What do we need healing of, right? A shut-up heaven, land-devouring locust, this metaphoric picture of, of, of destruction and pestilence among his people. And, and, and I was, the Lord led me, I was just trying to... to I mean, I know what pestilence is. I thought I did, but then I researched a little bit further, and, and it comes, that English word comes from a Latin, pestis, which, which means plague. It's a Latin word for plague. And it was originally this word was formed because of the bubonic plague, the, the black plague that over a third of Europe died from. And I don't know how they measured numbers in, how they got them all, but not only did Europe, we don't even know the numbers around the world because it was present in so many places because uh, rats, the fleas on rats, the rats were, were the carriers uh, of this bacteria. They would bite them and then bite a human, and that's how one of the ways that it was it came in uh, to people. Maybe one of the reasons I don't like rats, I don't like fleas either. Anybody with me? Pestilence, and 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 it's 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 highly uh, this this epidemic level. Um, plague, this pestilence is, is highly contagious, it's infectious, it's what we would call today viral, and it's devastating. You know, we just came out of a time. I mean, the, the, the trappings of it still hang on us today. I don't think we even like to hear the word COVID. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, our world is not the same after COVID. Our nation isn't the same. I'm just saying, it's just not. I'm not talking about all the things we did to try to prevent and spread and all that. I'm just talking about the impact and effect of COVID on our nation is still with us. There's churches today that still don't hardly have any. There's churches that have closed. Churches today that they have very few people. They're still showing up. People are afraid. And we didn't do that before. I mean, I grew up with the understanding if I was sick, I still had to go to school. 
Like anybody work and you like never miss a day. You just like like you 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 were you were trained and conditioned that if you're sick, you just push through it because you you need to show up and 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 be be present. And so I was. And then that happened, and and now people say, "Hey, I'm sick. I'm gonna stay home." I say, "Okay." We've changed a little bit in the way we encounter. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not saying it's bad or wrong or good or bad or anything. I'm just saying we changed. Some of the things that we now think and do simply because of the pestilence that we experienced, the plague, the pandemic that we experienced. And I'm just, you say, Pastor Tony, you're saying this from God. I, I don't know how it all got here. I don't know why hurricanes happen the way they do in strange places and flooding and fires and all those things. I don't know why necessarily... Bad things are flourishing and good things are diminishing. I can't give you every reason because I want to say there's probably some natural causes to a lot of those things. But I also know that the healing that will come is when his people humble themselves, pray, seek his face, and turn from their wicked ways. That's the recipe that we see here. And I won't read all of Romans 1 today. I'd encourage you, you can read it. Read it, if you get the opportunity, read it in the New Living Translation. I am going to read verse 18 from Romans 1. It says, but God shows his anger, some of your Bibles say wrath, from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So we'll stop right there. Because that's, that's, a, that's a very kind of punch-in-the-face kind of verse. You know what I mean? Because he's a loving God. And yet we're created in his image, and all of you can get angry at times. In fact, the Bible doesn't even say getting angry is wrong. It says anger and, help me out, some anger and sin not, right? Right? It says don't let the sun set on your anger. Right? There's, there's, there's some parameters and conditions. You go day after day after day, and you're still angry about something, that's sin. And you need, you need to repent of that and get help from it. You just do. That's my word to help you today. If you're hanging on to bitterness and letting it defile you and everyone around you, get rid of that, repent of it, and let God help you. Say, but you don't understand what happened to you. And I may not, but he does. Be like David and take, take it to God. David is very plain when he talks to God about what he's dealing with. Lord, how do you let, how do you let th- th- that guy increase when he's done me the way he has? Anybody hear what I'm saying? Like David's like, I got a problem with this, Lord. I don't understand this. But he took it to the Lord. Aren't you glad that you can just be open and transparent with him? I said last week, you're transparent anyhow. Picture, picture this. Christmas is coming. Maybe you got a child in your life, and you, you pick out the thing that they want. You work hard. Anybody ever give somebody a gift and you know they didn't like it when you got it? Like you thought they were going to like it and they opened it up and you could tell by the look on their face like they're, they're faking it until they make it, but they, they, like, they really don't like that ugly tie. They got 50 pairs of socks. You just got them a pair of socks that they're never going to wear and they're trying to smile through it. But, but I'm just saying this. You got a child in your life and you work, you think about the gift. You try to drum up the money to buy it. Maybe you don't even have it to do, and you, and you put it all together. It's something special, and you have it all wrapped nice, and you present it, and they open it up, and when they see it, they look at it in disgust. And they look at you with disrespect. 
They complain about what they've gotten. Now you put everything you got. They, they, they turn away from you and just, you know, speak all manner of evil against you. I don't know what it looks like. I'm just saying. How many know? You're not going to be happy with that kid. I don't care how much you love him. You're going to be like, what? You may not say it, but you put your whole heart and soul into getting this gift. You, you, you got behind it with everything you had to, to give it. And just understand, we're his children and he's presented us with the gift of his son, and then we turn our backs and ignore him. We go days without talking to him. We let this book lay and gather dust. Well, Romans 1 gives the trajectory of where people go. It's, it's devolving and this downward spiral until it's just hopelessness. And I'm glad that it doesn't have to be that way. right? This is people in Romans 1 that know God, but they don't worship him as God. They know God, but they don't glorify him as God. In 2 Peter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord's not slack concerning his promise, promises as some count slackness, but he's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's design and desire for us, somebody say it's me, is that we turn to him that we look at him. And, and I would say this, that in Romans chapter 1, it mentions the unthankful, ungrateful attitude that we can have. It exists in our world, but should never be present in the church. Bitterness, picking up offense at God and at, at people. And what, ha- what happens is this trajectory is people continue to go, 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 and they disconnect. I'm talking about disconnect from God. I'm not talking about just a church or anything, but they disconnect from God. And in their disconnection and their withdrawing, right, they, they get to a place that's, that's headed in a direction, as in Romans 1. It says about disobedient to parents, kind of lacking that parental leadership. I'm just saying that, that we're going to be thankful for parents. I'm speaking to some young people. I'm speaking to some other people, right? We, we ought to have a relationship with parents that, that we understand and look to them with the confidence, with confidence. In fact, uh, I, I remember um, lot, uh, been a couple years ago, there was a lady, single mom, had her son. Her son was 17. He's, he's my height or a little, t- a little taller, big shoulders. I mean, he's just just a healthy-looking young guy. And I said something real straight on one Sunday. I didn't know what I said. Can't remember it, but about uh, a certain situation, and, and she came to thank me. She said, you know, you said that. And I, I didn't know her. I said, oh. She repeated back to me what I said. That's always fun. <laughs> and she said, you said that. And my son has started, uh, I think she called it, he was doing classes to learn about hormone therapy, I think is what it was, maybe it's a different word, because he wants to become a girl. And she said, he said to her that during the service, I never met him, but said, I need to think about this some more. And I thought, you know, if he wouldn't have been here that Sunday, if he didn't trust in his parents' leadership, he may have missed out on that. You understand what I'm saying? 
Yeah, nobody talks about the other side of that when, when kids do that and, and the suicide rate that happens, and I'm not up here to be a hater. I, I love everybody, and I want people to know Jesus. Are you with me? And I, I see a picture of this with Lot's sons. You know, Lot had sons, um, the father of the Edomites and the Moabites, but then he also had sons in the city of Sodom because the angels show up and ask, is anybody else here beside your son-in-laws, your daughters, your sons? We don't read anything more about them. I don't think the angels showed up to a city that's going to experience destruction sent by God, and then they like are trying to guess. You, got, you have sons, by the way? We don't know. <laughs> are you with me? Yeah. So, so they're at, but we don't read anything. I think they were just lost there simply because of lack of the leadership, whether they didn't trust in their parents or whether they were just rebellious in that moment. And the other thing is just in Romans 1, you see the, the gender kind of confusion and ma- manipulation and reassignment. And, you know, in the church, I, I see this happening where, you know, denominations that are wrestling with this women in ministry. Well, how many knows that, that uh, women were doing stuff in here? It's not God's will to limit women to just sit on a seat and not be engaged. That's not what Jesus did. I got a series sometimes. I just, at some time, I just don't know what it's going to be, but Jesus Christ, ladies, man, because Jesus treated women so differently than anybody else ever did. My, con- my title's controversial, so I've been hesitant because I don't want to get on the news. Maybe, I don't know. And then limiting, right, this whole gender kind of thing. Lim- limited men in leadership simply, simply because, how many know the church needs men to step up? Anybody amen me? Some of you women know, right? They, Right, and, and, and so the enemy trying to disqualify men so they can't be the leaders, and I'm just saying God desires men to step up and be the leaders that he needs them to be. I could preach on this for a long time. There's so much more. I encourage you, read those chapters. Dig into to 2 Chronicles 7.14 for yourself. We're preparing for the great things God's going to do in the new year. Right? We don't want to wait till we get there. We want to be ready. We want to be ready on January 7th when we show up here for that first Sunday. We want to be ready to see God do some stuff that's beyond what we've seen in the past. I mean, he's still working. He's not gave up and said, you know, well, hey, you know, I did some things back there. That's good. You guys kind of do it on your own now. Be a powerless church. I'm okay with it. No, he wants a powerful church.